Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and his church, grow in faith and understanding of God's word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Take your Bibles open to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, if you did not bring a Bible or forgot your Bible this morning, there's one in front of you in the seat where you're sitting. It's a black hardbound book. Take that out. You can go to page 981. That's Philippians chapter 3. We've had an exciting few weeks here at church. I always like to kind of recap to kind of keep you guys in the loop what's going on. We had VBS, which we talked about a few weeks ago. Uh, we had Camp Baola, which is a, a, just a fantastic success. Last week, we had Rockridge and uh, Pine Mountain Club, which is uh, a group of kids and, and leaders that were down in Pine Mountain all week, and both great weeks. I was at Rockridge with my family. My entire family was there, my wife, my kids. I love Rockridge. I've got a special place in my heart for Rockridge. I spent uh, five summers there as a counselor. I worked on staff all summer long. Loved that. Asked my wife to marry me on top of the mountain. And uh, she said yes. Praise the Lord. Still not quite sure how that happened, but she said yes. And so Rockridge has got a real special place in my heart. I love being there. Love celebrating. We had a great week with a lot of kids, a lot of workers. At the same time we were at Rockridge, there was another group at Pine Mountain. They had about 70 kids down there, about 30 workers sharing the gospel with these kids. Kids got saved. Seeds were planted. Wayne Johnson was telling me from some neat stories this morning. They were down there working at the camp. A couple of neat things happened. They took that group to the Biblical History Center here in LaGrange, which is fantastic. If you've never been, you ought to go. And the older group got to do a biblical meal, and somebody paid for that. They just kind of funded the whole thing, which wasn't really cheap. That was a blessing. Then later that day, Wayne said they took the little kids to McDonald's, and somebody in the McDonald's volunteered to pay for everybody's meal that afternoon. So just neat little things like that, small things, just to indicate that the Lord's at work and uh, hearts are being changed as we present the gospel. And so let me just say this to all the people that were involved, whether it's uh, VBS or Cambaola or Rockridge or Pine Mountain or anything else going on over these last several weeks, thank you, thank you, thank you. It does not go unnoticed, uh, the hard work you put in, the dedication you put in. Uh, camps are a lot of fun, and we always have a blast going, but we do camps for the sole purpose of sharing Christ with these kids. And that happened over and over and over again these last many weeks. And so if you were involved in that on any level, thank you for doing that, for giving up time away from family, for giving up vacation days, uh, for uh, spending days out in the hot heat and humidity, uh, for doing crazy things at, at camp for kids to have fun. Thank you for that. We really appreciate it. And I promise you, I promise you, your work has eternal implications. Sometimes hard for us to see that fruit. Sometimes hard for us to see exactly what's taking place in the life of a kid. Um, but just know that your work and your effort uh, has eternal consequences for the lives of these kids. Thank you for that. And we're continuing our study this morning in the book of Philippians. To live is Christ. Study through the book of Philippians. We're just working verse by verse. And I love preaching through books because it allows us time. Right? We don't have to feel like we've got to rush through and, and try to figure everything out at once. We have time to think through, to understand. Uh, you have to understand that when you're studying Scripture, Paul wrote the letter to the church at Philippi as an entire letter. Right? And there are themes that go throughout, and he's got kind of ideas that ebb and flow, and he wrote it with an intent and a purpose for us to understand. 
And when we study through the whole book, we get a complete picture of that versus just choosing a verse or two here or there. We get a better understanding of his argument, a better picture of who he was, a more comprehensive understanding of that church and especially of Christ. And so Paul's kind of been been building this case over the last couple of weeks about forgetting about where we've been. In fact, we spent a lot of time last Sunday talking about forgetting the past. That's exactly what Paul says. That's exactly how he explains it. Paul says, forgetting what's behind me. And I got some calls this week and some messages from people about that verse, about that idea that kind of resonated with them because I think it's important for us sometimes to be reminded of this. It doesn't matter where you've come from. Doesn't matter your baggage. Doesn't matter your past. There's absolute forgiveness in Christ. It doesn't matter who you were. It's who you've become in Jesus. That should be freeing to all of us. Because we've all got skeletons in the closet. We've all got baggage. We've all got stuff we wish we hadn't have done. And if we're not careful, we fall into this trap of believing it's too much. Like the Lord couldn't possibly forgive me for that. The Lord couldn't possibly forgive me for that. Yes, he can. And so Paul says, listen, forgetting what is behind us, instead we press on toward the future, looking to Christ as our God. Right? So forget the past. We look instead to the future. What does the Lord have in store for us? What's he doing ahead of us? Where are we going? What should we be thinking about in terms of eternity with Jesus? So Paul's going to kind of continue that theme this morning, the idea of setting aside the past, moving ahead, pressing on, looking to eternity as our ultimate guide and our ultimate location to spend with Christ. So let's pick up in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to read verse 12 and 13, kind of what we looked at last week, 14, and then move into the new section that we'll study this morning. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 12. The words of Paul. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made it his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Right, The prize for Paul, the goal for Paul is Christ. Verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you with even tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Christ Jesus, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So kind of built into this idea is trusting Christ, growing in our walk, setting aside what's behind, looking ahead instead to what the future holds and what eternity holds for us. So here's the first truth I want you to see and understand this morning. We're going to walk back through this text and see it together. Truth number one, Paul teaches we should seek maturity, not perfection. 
seek maturity, not perfection. Now, Paul seems like he's kind of coming from two different places here. In fact, if you study through this and really listen to what he's saying, Paul made an interesting comment in Philippians 3.12. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Right now, I kind of made this case last week that if the apostle Paul, who wrote the vast majority of the New Testament, who other than Jesus is probably the, the best known figure in all of scripture, if the apostle Paul believes he has not yet arrived, we have not yet arrived either, right? And so Paul says, listen, I'm not perfect. I'm not to that point yet. I know there's much work to be done. But then in verse 15, Paul says, let those of us who are mature think this way. So there's this comparison. I want to differentiate, make sure we understand. There's this comparison between perfection and maturity. As followers of Christ, we would all say, as Paul does, none of us are perfect. In fact, if you think you're perfect, read Romans 3, 23. The Bible teaches that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Myself included. Paul included. So we see this idea scripturally that everybody has sinned, all of us have made mistakes, we've all fallen short of the perfection of Christ, of the glory of the Lord. Paul says, I haven't reached that point yet, but even though I haven't reached that point yet, I'm still striving, I'm still pressing on, I'm still growing in my walk because I want to be mature in my faith. I'm not perfect, but I do want to be mature. I want to grow, I want to struggle to see Christ, I want to grow in my faith and my walk. One writer said this, maturity in Christ means developing Christ-like character and conduct. Now the greatest example of this, of course, is Jesus himself. And so when Jesus was asked, listen, what's the greatest commandment? What's the most important thing I should do? He answers in Mark chapter 12, verse 29. Here's what he says. The most important is, hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. Jesus says, listen, if you want to think about maturity, if you want to be growing in your faith, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so if you're asking yourself, if you're comparing, if you're trying to figure out if you are growing in Christ, those are probably the easiest two examples to look to. Do I love the Lord with everything about my being? Do I love the Lord with my heart, with my mind, with my body, with my soul? Do I love others as much as I love myself? Right? Because it's very easy for us to get caught up in this mindset of me first, It's very easy for us to get caught up in looking out for number one, doing what's best for me, doing what's best for my family, not really worried about what the Lord teaches, not really worried about everything else. Paul says, listen, if you're really interested in growing in your faith and maturing in Christ, love the Lord and love others. And and a big part of what we ought to be doing as Christians is examining ourselves Like you should on a regular basis examine whether or not you're doing these things, whether you're living your life for Christ, whether you're trusting him in all things. We have uh, very interesting discussions as a team when we talk about growing in Christ because it's very difficult to measure growth in Christ. There's a lot of things you can measure. We can very easily measure how many of you are here this morning. We can very easily measure how many baptisms we do a year. 
We can very easily measure the amount of money that comes into our church and the amount of money we spend on ministry. We can measure those things, but when you talk about measuring growth in Christ, it becomes difficult. And we have really good discussions as a team of how do we manage that? How do we understand that? How can we really say that this person has grown? What are the steps that people ought to be walking through in order to grow their walk of Christ? And so we do the best we can to try to help you and lead you down that path. But listen, just in case you don't already understand this, you are responsible and you alone for your spiritual growth. And so it's up to you to ask these difficult questions. It's up to you to examine your own heart. It's up to you to compare your life based on the teaching and the truth of Scripture because we should look very different today in Christ than we did five years ago. You know, one of the fun things about Rockridge is you get to see these kids over and over again. A lot of them are Rosemont kids, but there are a lot of kids from other churches that we don't see as often. And so it's fun during the week. A lot of times we'll look at old pictures from camp. We didn't have camp last year, but the year before, 2019 or 2018. And in one of the nights during worship, we showed an old Rockridge video, I think from 2018. And it's funny to watch the kids' reactions because if they're a little bit older and they were here in 2019 or 2018, they look very different in that old video than they do now. In fact, the difference between a second grader and a fifth grader is pretty profound, right? There's a lot of growth that takes place. And when those kids see the video, and they see the picture of themselves from two or three years ago. It's funny to them. They look silly. They look like a little kid. They laugh. We've all done that before, right? Because when you look at pictures over time, you can see growth. It's hard to see it day to day sometimes. But when you look at pictures from three years ago or five years ago or 10 years ago, you can see a difference in who you are. We understand that physically, but we ought to be taking inventory of our lives spiritually and doing the same thing. Am I the same person now that I was five years ago? Am I memorizing as much scripture or more scripture now? Am I reading the Bible more now? Am I more interested in the things of Christ now than I was several years ago? Here's a very clear one. Have I shared my faith with more people this year than I did last year? These are questions you can ask. These are questions you can answer. These are things you ought to be pondering, right? Because we're not looking for perfection, but we are looking for maturity. We're looking for growth. Now, Paul gives us an example And a way we can do that is we think about growth, how we can grow, and something specifically we can be doing. Look again at verse 17. Philippians 3, 17. Brothers, join in imitating me. This is what Paul says. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So Paul kind of gives us this idea, listen, it's not perfection, but it is maturity. There ought to be growth. There ought to be change. You ought to be personally examining your own life. But then he gives us this real clear indication of something else we ought to be doing is truth number two. Paul says we should follow godly examples. Right? If you want to think about maturity in Christ, growing in your faith, Paul says we ought to be following godly examples. Verse 17 is very clear. Brothers, join in imitating me. Paul was there with them, right? Paul's a godly man. He said you can look to me, but also keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul says, listen, you need to find somebody that's mature, that's a believer, that's growing in their faith, imitate that person, learn from that person, spend time with that person. 
Now, when I was younger, when we were all younger, we probably had people we looked up to, didn't we? We had somebody that we liked or maybe wanted to be like. And for a lot of us, when we were younger, maybe it was a movie star uh, or somebody on TV that we saw a lot or an athlete, right? For me as a kid, I always wanted to be like Larry Bird. That's who I wanted to be like. I loved basketball, loved Larry Bird. Even though the Celtics always beat the Hawks, I secretly just loved him. I had a full-size poster of Larry Bird in my room, and he's 6'9", so he's a big dude, right? So it was on the back of my door, took up almost the entire door and and, uh, the the width of the door as well. And I would, (laughs) when I was by myself uh, in my room with my Nerf basketball goal, I would pretend like I was Larry Bird shooting. I still don't know why I didn't have a lot of dates in high school. I hadn't quite figured that out. I guess I was always in my room pretending to be Larry Bird, right? That's what I was doing. And if you'd have driven by my house circa 1985, 1986, I would have been outside with my basketball pretending like I was Larry Bird. I just liked him. I wanted to be like him, right? We get a little bit older and we understand we don't probably want to be like the people we wanted to be when we were a kid. But Paul says from from a scriptural standpoint, from a biblical perspective, there ought to be somebody in our life that we're looking up to. There ought to be somebody that's farther along the road. There ought to be somebody that's more mature in their faith. And listen, that relationship ought to be intentional. If you think it's just going to naturally happen where you're going to bump into somebody a little more mature and maybe by osmosis or some miracle, they're going to impact and and impart all this information into you. It's not going to happen like that. We need to be intentional about our relationships, intentional about our time. So the question is, who are you spending time with that's more mature than you that you can learn from, one? Or maybe if you've been down this road for a while, who are you pouring into? Who are you investing in? What person younger than you needs to learn from you that you're actively talking with, spending time with? Think about Jesus. Jesus lived his life with the disciples. It wasn't a once a week text. Of course, they didn't have phones back then, obviously. It wasn't a once a week conversation. It wasn't a casual. It just bumped into them in the grocery store and spent two minutes and then went their separate ways. Jesus lived life with these disciples. He spent every waking hour with them for several years, pouring into them, teaching them, training them. Right? I realize that life is different now for us and it looks different, but you ought to be in some sort of a relationship on some sort of a regular basis. You ought to have people in your life that are willing to pour into you. You ought to be willing to pour into other people's lives. Right? We would use the phrase discipleship, but Paul helps us understand, listen, you need to keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. I want you to look at verse 17 again. Pull 317 up because I want you to see this. I want you to notice what Paul says. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in me. Not people that just talk the talk. Not people that just look a certain way. Not people that just act a certain way. But people who really live it out. If you can find somebody that's living out their faith, that's walking the walk, talking the talk, those are the kind of people you need to imitate. Those are the kind of people you need to spend time with. Those are the heroes of faith. Now, I love how the scripture uses this phrase and helps us better understand this. So if you were to go back and kind of read, especially in the Old Testament, you would find that a lot of these kind of heroes of faith, the people that are mentioned, especially in Hebrews chapter 11, are mentioned as walking with the Lord. Using this exact phrase, this exact word. So let me give you just a couple examples. You don't have to look 
with me at them in the scripture, but I want you to listen to what the Bible teaches. Genesis chapter 6, speaking of Noah, here's what the Bible says. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Genesis 17, God commanded Abraham to walk before me and be blameless. Deuteronomy 28, the people of Israel were receiving the promised blessing. The Bible says, if they kept the commandments of the Lord and walked in his ways. Isaiah encouraged people to walk righteously and speak what is right. Psalm 89 says, teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Right? If we're going to understand our discipleship, if we're going to understand our growth in Christ, we're going to understand maturity, we need to be walking with the Lord. It's a constant, ongoing, very real relationship. It's not some theoretical thing that we talk about in general terms. It's not something we mention every now and then. It's a regular, ongoing process of walking with the Lord. And if we're doing that, we ought to be spending time with other people that are walking with the Lord. And we ought to pour into the lives of people that want to grow in their faith as well. And so the question becomes, listen, if you're serious about your faith... If you're serious about pressing on, if you're serious about maturing in Christ, you should be in some sort of a relationship like that. It should be somebody in your life that's challenging you, pouring into you, asking you the tough questions. And by the way, if you're going to have this kind of relationship, you've got to give each other the freedom to ask the difficult questions. Because it's very easy to meet for breakfast and just have this superficial level and how you doing fine, how you doing fine, how's your family good, how's your family good, we're good eat some eggs and go to work. But if you're serious about your walk, you ought to give each other the permission to ask difficult questions. Right? How's your walk with Christ? When's the last time you read your Bible? When's the last time you prayed? Have you shared your faith this week with anybody? Are you struggling with anything? Right? If you find people in your life that you love and can be around, those are the kind of people that will challenge you and encourage you and strengthen you. And if you imitate those people and you find those people in your life, you're going to grow in your walk. So Paul kind of lays this idea out for us, right? It's about maturity. It's about imitating other believers, looking to people that have gone ahead of us, spending time with those people. Then he gives us kind of a a very important final picture here and something we ought to kind of build on and understand in our life. Look at verse 17 again. Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and their glory in their, they glory in their shame with minds on earthly things. Right? There's this kind of idea here that, listen, you're either going to be walking with the Lord, trusting the Lord, following him, or you're going to instead walk toward your destruction. You're going to be opposite of the cross, opposite of the things of the Lord. Your God is going to be your belly. You're going to be an enemy of the cross. Now, here's the problem with that for far too many people. If we're not careful as followers of Christ, if we're not intentional with our walk, if we're not seeking maturity, if we're not surrounding ourselves with other believers, we slowly over time deviate from the things of the Lord. It may not be instantaneous. It may not be fast. Oftentimes, it's a slow burn, but we wake up one day and we realize we're not really in the will of the Lord anymore. We're not seeking him. We're not trusting him. So we want to find ourselves in verses 16 and 17, not verses 18 and 19. There's a clear comparison here, right? 
But then he gives us this picture, this ultimate goal in verse 20. Listen to what he says. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, if you're taking notes in your Bible, you ought to underline verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven. Verse 21, who will transform our lowly body and be like, to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So this idea of maturity, growing in our faith by surrounding ourselves with other believers that are a little farther along than we are, that can challenge us, that can help us grow. And then truth number three, we should understand that our citizenship is in heaven. We should understand that our citizenship is in heaven. Let's be clear about this. This earth is temporary. Heaven is eternal. Could you imagine just for a second if we could all kind of flip the switch in our lives and we could start living as if heaven is our eternal home and not this earth? Imagine how differently you would think if your focus was on heaven, understanding this is just temporary. Imagine how differently you would act. Imagine how differently you would react. Imagine how you would treat people differently. Imagine how your priorities would probably greatly shift. Most of us live on this earth. We walk through this life as if this is it. So we spend time building up treasure here, accumulating things here, gaining more and more prestige here, whatever the case may be, as if this was it. Paul says we need to understand this is not it. This is a blip on the radar of eternity. Our ultimate citizenship is going to be in heaven. Right? We're all going to go to the beach probably this summer, or the mountains, or maybe you're going to go out of town on vacation. You're going to go somewhere nice, whether it's a hotel or condo or friend's house or Airbnb or whatever it looks like for you. You're going to check into that place, and you're going to enjoy yourself while you're there, but you're going to understand that's not your home. You're coming back to LaGrange or Pine Mountain or Harris County, wherever you live, because that's where you reside. That's where your home is. So you're going to spend a little while there all the time understanding that's not my permanent residence, right? We need to begin to understand heaven like that. We need to begin to understand heaven as our eternal home. You know, I say this in funerals a lot, and I say it not as some cliche. I say it because I mean it, and I think about it a lot. I lost my mom last year, as some of you may know, and I know a lot of y'all have lost people in the last several years. And, and I could not, after my mom passed away, after you kind of get over that shock of that news, I, I just could not help but thinking over the next several days all the things she was experiencing. Because we have this incredibly limited understanding of heaven. We have this incredibly finite, limited, minuscule understanding of heaven. I had a seminary professor one time teach about heaven, and he said, listen, if you want to stay on this earth because you hope to be able to fish a little bit more or vacation a little bit more or play some more games or whatever you want to do, fill in the blank, if you want to stay on this earth a little bit longer to accomplish those things, then you have a complete misunderstanding of heaven. Because it's so much greater than anything we can ever hope or imagine. And as I thought about my mom, and, and I do this oftentimes when people pass away in this church, I think about what they must be as believers, what they must be experiencing. And so I say at funerals, and I mean this, with 100% of my being, and I'll use my mom as the example, given the choice, mom wouldn't come back. As much as I'd love to have her back, 
As much as I could wave the magic wand, I'd bring her back right now. She wouldn't come back given the choice. Why? Because she's experiencing the glory of the Lord. She's seeing things that our finite, tiny, limited minds can't even comprehend. Paul says, listen, we need to get a better picture of that. We need to have a better understanding of that. We need to live in such a way to say, listen, this that we have here, we're going to do the best we can while we're here. God has us here for purpose. He sent us to accomplish things. We need to walk in his ways and trust him while we're here. But the whole purpose that we're here for is to impact eternity. So what are we doing now that's going to make a difference in eternity? So I want to spend just a couple minutes. I don't have a lot of time left. We could probably preach a whole sermon series on this idea, but I want to talk just for a minute about heaven because there's a lot of misunderstanding, a, a lot of confusion about heaven. A lot of people have read all the books of the people that have died and gone to heaven. I've read a lot of those too. You ask me, are they true? I have no idea, but I know this is true. And so if I want to learn about heaven, I'm going to do it from the Bible, not from a guy who may or may not have died and thought he's, I don't know if it's true or not. That's between him and God. I'm not going to question him. You can make your own determination about it. I'm just telling you, I know this is true. And so before I'm going to believe some book written by a human, I'm going to believe God's word. And God's word talks a lot about heaven, right? The, the things that we understand clearly that God dwells there, Christ came from there to, to glorify the Father. But one of the coolest parts about heaven that I think sometimes we forget is what Jesus says in John 14, right? He's with his disciples. He's about to be arrested, crucified, raised from the dead, ascended into heaven. And he's teaching and he's explaining to the disciples. And here's what he says in John 14, beginning in verse 1. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God Believe also in me. Listen, in my Father's house, he's talking about heaven, are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. There, there's this beautiful picture in Scripture that Jesus has gone ahead of us and is preparing a place for us. He's ready for you. Did you know that? He's preparing a place for you in heaven so you can experience the glory of the Lord, so you can experience his beauty. Revelation 21 is a, a beautiful chapter that talks about heaven and it talks about the beauty of heaven and all the, the glass and the colors and jewels of every kind and transparent seas and there's no need for the sun or the moon because the glory of the Lord shines on it, right? It's this beautiful picture of what heaven is like. But we have to understand at the heart of all that, the thing that makes heaven great and the thing that makes heaven wonderful and glorious is that Jesus is there. And we don't get to look at him in heaven through a dim glass. We get to see him in person. We get to experience his glory and his power and his majesty. And it's greater than anything we can ever experience here. And so we've got to find this ability as we study and learn and understand to see, as Paul says in verse 20, that our citizenship is in heaven and we await our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the most, most beautiful part. Right? God has prepared this for us. Jesus has gone ahead of us. He's preparing a place for us. And if we would begin to understand that and see that and set our priorities and live our lives based on that truth, your life would change dramatically. So would the lives of the people around you. And I believe, I firmly believe, if we really lived like this, we'd change the world. Paul says there's a greater plan for us. 
There's a greater picture for us. We need to trust him, love him, follow him, grow in our faith, see ourselves as citizens of heaven, and then God does great things through us. We're going to give you the opportunity here in just a moment during our time of invitation to respond. This is between you and the Lord. You're you're welcome to come and pray. You're welcome to come speak to me. But this is the chance we give you as we sing for you to process this, to to think through this, uh, to try to figure out how you're going to incorporate this in your life. Watch now. I want to step on your toes. This over the next five minutes, and hopefully you hadn't been doing this anyway, but the next five minutes is not about you figuring out where you're going to go for lunch. There's time after church for that. The next five minutes is designed for you to think through this and process through this and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Let Let me pray for us now. Father, we thank you for this beautiful picture that you've given us in Philippians chapter 3, Father. Thank you for the words that Paul has given us to encourage us, challenge us in our maturity and our growth, seeking out godly believers to surround ourselves with other people, but also, Father, to set our mind again on the things of heaven. We are citizens of heaven, not of this earth. Help us to have that mindset. Father, while we're here, help us to do everything we can to seek you, to trust you, to love you more and more, always longing for, anticipating, hoping for that day when we'll spend eternity with you in heaven. Father, be with us now during this time of invitation. Speak to us very clearly. We'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.